Wow. We're back for powerful stuff. I know it doesn't feel like a long time for you guys because we haven't released any of these episodes yet, (laughs) but it's been a month. It sure does feel long for us. Yeah. Eileen is my therapist, my confidant, and things were really piling up in there while she was away. We had to set down some boundaries. Yeah. Lay down the law. Lay down the law. I feel like I got a chiropractic alignment (laughs) energetically. Just getting advice from her before the recording started. The patience is is slim now. Right. We're getting tough. I know it's Leo season, as we <laughs> said. <laughs> Hear those lions roar. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, everyone, welcome back to Powerful Stuff, episode five. Welcome back. And we are coming in hot today. Mm. Muy caliente, Mm. with some emotional intelligence, musings of what to do when you are with emotionally unintelligent people and how to sharpen your own emotional intelligence. So that you can even recognize that in others. So you can recognize it in others. And the importance of this is really the joy of of being on that constant Mm -hmm. evolution and constantly protecting your own energy so you can give the best version of yourself to others while also taking radical ownership over what you can and can't change. That all sounds overwhelming. Don't you worry. We're going to break it down for you today. So should we kick off with our breath? Let's do it. Let's do it. The best way to start. Just getting a comfortable seat or a energetic field (laughs) and we'll go ahead and take three deep breaths breathing in arriving here and open mouth exhale sighing it out second breath in to allow for curiosity new possibilities as you listen today and exhale opening yourself up to that and then third and deepest breath in to call forth your emotional self allowing it to receive the wisdom that it's ready to receive today as you exhale that out, coming back into this space. Wow. It always feels so good to do that. I know. There is nothing that three collective breaths can't solve. (laughs) It's honestly true. (laughs) At least in Venice. (laughs) History could be so different if everyone did that. (laughs) Imagine if Congress just just like, hey. Just take a minute. (laughs) Hey, we're all getting pretty heated Pause, guys. Let's take a few collective breaths. Yeah. That would be so powerful. I can't wait to see it. I can't wait to see it. C-SPAN. Well, (laughs) (laughs) who knows if Marianne Williamson makes it further. That's true. That could be in our future. I mean, things are really changing. Things are changing. Tim Ferriss. I know Tim Ferriss we need to talk about as well. We must. I mean, in terms of emotional growth, our, our good friend Ashlyn sent me a little clip today about how Tim Ferriss is no longer being super regimented with his life. Yeah, the biohacker insanity craze of the past 10 to 15 years, the Tim Ferriss Era. as we know him, yeah, that has is, come to an end. Yeah, and if you guys aren't familiar, Tim Ferriss is a podcaster. He had the four-hour work week, and he was all into optimizing so much of his life. And 
I remember watching a YouTube video where he's like, this is my perfect nighttime routine. And it was like, first, all you need is a cold plunge sauna, like <laughs> a tea imported from Japan. Right. He, I feel like he really started that like 25 step morning and night routine. Yeah. And that's why he needed the four hour work week. And if you guys are wondering how this relates to emotional intelligence, as you might be, I think like sometimes when we try to over-index or over-control certain parts of our life, it's like making up for or running from um, uncomfortable emotions of like just sitting in stillness. Because oftentimes when we sit in stillness, the discomfort of emotions arise. But while it might feel uncomfortable, like a birthing process, emotions are, are actually our superpowers there are North Stars and we're able to sit with our emotions and not try to avoid them by deflecting, by getting defensive, by tracking our sleep on our whoop and taking all the nootropics and giving our partner scorecards, which he did talk about on an episode once. Mm. That's where the true magic happens. And so I think that Tim Ferriss is a funny parallel segue into this. Totally. And it also mimics our journey from going, I remember when it first started and we probably both were very into that idea of like regimenting and, and figuring out this optimization and hacking life. And we've gone through that evolution and we recently would joke about him, you know, just being kind of stuck in this like, I don't know, routine regimented hell that, <laughs> right, that, that it turns into. Right, where it's like everything in your life becomes a competition with yourself and that's exhausting. Yeah, and you're really just burying the emotions deeper and deeper then. And I thought it was so cool that he said, like, I'm just trying to feel now. And it's like, that is so simple, but for someone like that and for the culture that he's created, it's so profound. It's so profound and we hope all of Tim Ferriss's Naval Ravikant's yeah. and <laughs> Aubrey Marcus's super fan. <laughs> you know, it has a ripple down effect that's really powerful for those guys. Because I know like, the, yeah, so many of those guys were obsessed with like biohacking and longevity. And mm. it's like, out, like, so what if you live to a, 120 if you're like robbing yourself of happiness now because your routine is so controlled that you don't allow space to just feel. Yeah, yeah. And you can't just like tell someone that you love them or have an issue and you have to create like a spreadsheet for it. Right. I, so that's actually when I stopped listening to Tim Ferriss because I listened to him for a little bit many, many years ago. And then I he had an, an episode with Esther Perel, the relationship coach. And he was like, yeah, me and my girlfriend, like we give each other scorecards at the end of each month. And it's like, this is the average of what you did well, this area you were a little lacking. And I was like, whoa, I'm all for like improving with our partners, but that's way too much. And it created a really unhealthy culture where a lot of guys did look up to him. Mm-hmm. And where... It's like, it, it just feels like it's this weird, different form of biohacking masculinity. Yeah. <laughs> Where it's like, yeah, biohacking, bypassing, spiritually bypassing, like just allowing to sit with feelings. And I think it comes back to that age old expression that we're all working toward of I am enough, mm-hmm. just as I am, even if my whoop score is low. Exactly. Yeah. And let's just get to the real heart of it. And it's such a nice change in the culture. I agree. And that all happens when we slow down and when we allow. So with that little Tim Ferriss opener, Tim, if you're listening, we're happy for you. We are. And we're excited to see where this emotional growth comes. Um, Yeah. And I'm just laughing because I have a funny story at the end, which I'll share. But but, um, everyone stay tuned. So Eileen, would you like to kind of kick us off with how these musings were arising for you the last few weeks? Sure. 
I mean, oh boy. (laughs) I'm going to start it off by the book I'm reading because I think it's such an important one and it's always nice to have a real solid reference. And the book is literally called Adult Children of Emotionally Immature Parents. (laughs) Wrong button, but I meant to go. (laughs) It's easing us in. Um, But I think the... The biggest thing with this is, first of all, so many people in our generation can relate to that. You know, even if you had a seemingly perfect upbringing or a great relationship was modeled for you and you had that with your parents, you know, we, they come from a generation where it wasn't really acceptable or normal to talk about feelings and vulnerability. And so, of course, there's going to be some gap between the generations. Um, so I think it can be helpful for everyone. Um but especially for anyone who's ever dealt with any conflict with their parents. And I think we're so shy to talk about this kind of extreme level of book or education. And it's much easier to talk about things like attached or, you know, the kind of like the level above that. Um, But it does block us a little bit from the heart of it. And it's sort of a painful realization, but such a good one. And it's all part of the maturing process. But what I was noticing in relationships with friends, r- romantic, and parents, most importantly, was that there was this huge emotional gap that I had spent so many years trying to fill myself and so much energy putting into those relationships in order to give them the level of emotional depth that I was looking for and that I wanted without realizing that you can't just create that and expect the person to follow. You know, there's some element of modeling in relationships and being the person that you want the other person to be, but you also can't expect them to just change into that. We're becoming the people that we want to be to attract the right people, but for those existing relationships, it's so hard. And um, so, yeah, just the intro is... I've been reflecting on that a lot and figuring out how I can be more emotionally mature to A, recognize that in other people, see when I'm just kind of trying to to fill the emotional gaps and be able to feel more empowered myself, feel less shy, feel less embarrassed. And it's not like an overall embarrassment, but it's those micro moments where you're worrying about what someone might think or you're worrying about how they might react and you're just ignoring what you know to be true and what you feel confident about and empowered within. Totally. And I think you kind of hit the nail on the head, especially, I mean, all of it, but especially in the last thing of what you said is when we're focused on how someone else might perceive it or how we're doing something to please them, we're disconnected from our own emotional experience. And the first step is to be connected to how our emotions are guiding us in that moment or how we're feeling around that person or what we need to communicate. And then from there, it's okay to have that extra step of empathy in how we deliver something to somebody. Absolutely. That's so necessary. But we have to prioritize and lead with our emotions versus theirs. Exactly. And I think that's the key too, because if you don't, then you won't have that empathy. And then you're just reacting and you're in this strange... Just, trigger world. Yeah, trigger world. And it's it's almost like to Scary. have the empathy, you have to be a little bit tougher to begin with. Yeah, it's almost like in order to have um, empathy 
you need to first kind of protect the beautiful flowers that are your own emotions and needs um, and let those grow. And then you, you kind of filter what you let in. Exactly. And who you let in. But if you're too porous, it's like your flowers are stomped on. <laughs> exactly. And you end up feeling like either resentment or totally disconnected from yourself because you're completely people pleasing to someone. And I think they, ex- or something you and I had talked about before we pressed record mm-hmm. was if you always are appeasing to someone who is not emotionally mature, they will never change because it's right. like a child who's getting. Oh, well, if I always scream and stop, mom always gives me candy to stop crying. So I'm going to keep doing it. Um, so they never learn. So you almost have to like starve that reaction and show that like, actually, I'm not going to respond to that, even though it's really hard. And I do love that person. I don't want them to think I'm icing them out. But it's almost like they need to see that their behavior has consequences Yes. in order for them to change. And if you're always like, oh, you know, it's kind of like a puppy. Imagine a puppy like... You know, if you're like, oh, don't pee there, like that was really bad. Like they don't learn. You actually have to like take physical action of like, you know, I don't know how people train their puppies, but yeah, <laughs> but, like my discipline. point, <laughs> discipline or like, or, or uh, it's it's enabling the behavior, yeah, by not by not really addressing it in the way that you emotionally know that you probably should, and that was actually my trigger, my breaking point was realizing that I was, by doing this, enabling someone else to have this behavior with everyone else in their life. And not that that's necessarily my responsibility, but it was, that was sort of like the the thing that I needed to see to make this final change. Because if we're embedded in those kinds of relationships, and I talk about parents because I know a lot of people experience that, and those are the most hardest relationships. Yeah. Because they're the birthplace of all of our triggers. So yeah. There is actually this Ram Das quote that's like, um, if you think you're enlightened, try spending a week <laughs> with your family. Yeah, exactly. And and that quote, sometimes I used to misinterpret that and think that if I still get triggered by being with my family, then I'm not in a good place. Um, but I I see that quote differently now, and it's like, it's it's just letting you know that you can always find the source of them, but you can heal without healing everyone around you. Mm, wow. That, and that's been the biggest thing too. <laughs> that is some powerful stuff right there. Yeah, and then sometimes in order to truly heal, we almost need to take space or cocoon from those people or protect our energy. And I know both of us have been on a journey with those kind of people in our life where we've had to completely cut people out this year because it it was so raw and we just simply could not heal that if they were still like if it that relationship was still somehow kind of like picking at that yeah that wound and and sometimes you do need to say like I think it for me on my experience of it it was because I was too much giving to other people and instead of like how does this make Meredith feel and checking it and it was so trying to avoid the discomfort of hurting someone's feelings by um, doing what was best for me. And that might mean that they didn't participate in something or whatever, that I would bend over backwards for these people. They didn't even realize how much it was costing me because they were just thinking about what was best for them. And then I was feeling more and more and more resentful. And so it was just robbing me of my own peace. Well, they got to have their cake and eat it too. Yeah. And so that wasn't serving anyone. And the hardest thing I had to do was like put 
put that wall up and say like in order for me to give and actually have a maximum impact on the other people and more people in my life, whether it's my clients who I serve, my friends, my family, I, I actually need to do what's best for me because these dynamics are draining me. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. I think that's the biggest thing too, realizing that we have so much energy to give, but it is limited. And like, if we really take stock of it and we treat it like an inventory list and see like how much of it is going towards, towards us one area and not being distributed to everyone else, then you can also see how we get into this trap of feeling like I'm giving so much, like how how is it not enough or how do I still feel like I'm missing out on other things or other people? Yeah. And I think that's the first part of our own radical ownership of our own emotional intelligence. Yes. Of not feeling like a victim in that and really looking at it. Yeah. Not feeling like a victim and saying, what can I radically own in this situation? Well, something that I emotionally need to heal is my need for approval. Mm. So the first step in that is setting a healthy boundary and communicating that to this person, even though it scares me. Otherwise, we can't just point fingers and talk about these other people and how they did this and this and this, but we continue to allow it because uh, what you allow is to tol- like what you allow to tolerate is how people will treat you. Absolutely. Yeah. And for me, mine was my emotional maturity lesson was that I similarly, um, I need to not have any expectation of what someone is going to think of me and it's approval in like a really deep way of like my choices and my path and like who I am and my values and just realizing that no one in the world can validate that and trying to trying to prove that to anyone is just exhausting exhausting yeah and it's yeah and they never learn and I think like yeah, we've identified kind of step one of emotional intelligence in terms of our journey is like identifying where we're allowing that and also do we have any potential blind spots we're mm-hmm. not noticing. And then it's and then it's like you said, releasing expectation of the other dynamics or the other people around us who we might care deeply about. We can't force them to change or yeah. Or heal. That is completely their responsibility. It is. And recognizing that I still think is part of that step two of like looking at our own emotional immaturity because the sign of emotional in- immaturity is trying to control everyone else. Oh, there's the applause button. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Retweet. That is an aggressive applause. I know. I wish it lasted two seconds shorter, but it was still great. I love it. But yeah, and and part and then it's taking responsibility of like, okay, well, if I'm not seeking approval in other people and I'm not seeking their permission to be the way I want to be, then I have to decide how I want to be, and I have to stand by my decisions and really own them, and then I'm responsible for them. Right, and commit commit to them. Commit to. The decision and commit to, I don't want to even say the consequences of the no. decision, but the, the effects of the decision. Yes. Um, and trust that when we're guided by our emotions, we don't let them like overtake us, but it's almost like sitting in stillness. What is my, what is my emotional self telling me? What, what, where do I go with this anger? Why is this anger coming up? And when we treat it with a why, with curiosity, 
then we're able to see sometimes anger shows us that we need to set firmer boundaries. Mm -hmm. Sometimes um, sadness shows us that we need to allow ourselves to grieve something we're ready to let go of. And, And then we use our emotions as a question of like, how we can continue to take this next step through guided self-trust through these answers of these questions. Yes, I love that too because to be emotionally immature doesn't necessarily mean you're not feeling your emotions. It could actually mean you're feeling them and you're just acting from them, you know, and you're letting them take over and you're just using that as your guide. So the essential part is to have the structure around it, the awareness around it, and use it as a tool to incorporate with everything else you know, but keep your logical mind, keep your rationale, keep your memories, and let the emotions be a part of it instead of feeling like you have to choose between one or the other. Right, which again is like that. Yeah, it's like, wow, are you guys getting all of this? That is emotional maturity. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it's not the either or, it's the yes and. It's like, yes, my mind is saying this and my emotion is telling me this. And um, I'm feeling in control of both because you're acknowledging both Mm -hmm. and not letting one or the other run the show or like you said, needing to control. Yeah, or being afraid or any of that. Yeah, and kind of thinking about like the the next application of that, can you talk a little about, you know, what, what we just said of like we have to be on our own timeline for healing, like what people can expect in like the stages immediately after mm. toward the other side? Yeah, this is, it's different for everyone. I can just share my experience, of but course, of <laughs> I course. know that it takes so long sometimes to even get to this point. You know, it took me a couple of years of having this awareness in the back of my mind, but either not being ready to look at it or just emotionally like, yeah, just not feeling strong enough. So that I would say is like the first, first step. We often know when a change is coming. We know when something big is happening, even if it's a year or two out, Mm -hmm. we can feel it. Whether it's I want a need to retreat from the world, whether it's just, you know, yeah, feeling a little less social or just a little more anxious or we notice that. Um, But then I think at this step, the experience has been, there's a feeling of freedom when you realize this and you realize that the little voice in the back of your mind that's been afraid to take responsibility for self and potentially change dynamics that have existed for decades, um, those aren't as daunting as they seem. Like they seem so big and so scary, but they are externally like don't look that huge you know and it's it's just the catching up I feel like on the inside that starts happening yeah and it's and it's so funny because emotional intelligence brings us so much freedom because then we truly can get the best out of the stoic life which is knowing what's in our control knowing what's out of our control and people a la Tim Ferriss before he learned to sit in stillness um go through crazy lanes just to avoid sitting with themselves, just to avoid sitting with their emotions. And so often, like you were saying, in other words, pull like when you pull the monster out from under the bed, it's never as big as you think it is. And people are so afraid of that. They come up with elaborate lies, self-defenses, other things just to not face their own emotions. They ghost people. They (laughs) do, you know what I mean? They, they gaslight like all these different things just 
because they're afraid to look at themselves in the mirror as to quote Taylor Swift from Antihero and her Midnight's album. Um, I'll still stare directly at the sun, but never in the mirror. Yes. It must be exhausting, always rooting for the anti-hero. Yes. So real. So real. And it's like, it's actually, it might suck like initially pulling that bandaid off, but it actually gives you so much energy back. It does. And, and I think the other big, like there have been so many signs I think that have prompted me to really look at this and force me to say it's time and it's time to address it now. But the other thing is also looking at adults in my life, not just parents, but others who... Because we're certainly not adults here. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, elders. Oh, elders. <laughs> who maybe haven't gone through this process and who have continued that deflection into old age. My grandmother passed away last month at 99 years old. Wow. And... You know, like there are so many things to say about her, but the but one of the biggest truths is that she just never took the opportunity to look inside and let let that become so much bigger than it needed to be. You know, it causes mental illness, it causes tension, tension. anxiety, stress, which then can lead to chronic illness. Yeah, exactly. And that's for me how it always manifests as physical. Like that's when I know that something has gone too far because I'll just physically get sick. For It's different for everyone. Some people, like we said, just have more of a stamina to block those things down. Yeah. But I think... They're like more cold plunges. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> twice a day. But seeing how it manifests um, as you get older, you just realize like this isn't something that just goes away. This isn't something that like our physical growth is inevitable, but our emotional growth is not. And sometimes we think that it is. We think that if we're aging, we're, we're maturing. And there's this realization that like we have to take action if we don't want it to just continue to forever because there are way too many adults that have just lived that. And I think what you said is exactly right. It's like just because you're older doesn't mean you're wiser. In fact, sometimes when you're older, you're like, oh, well, I'm already older than this person or I've done this. And you can be even more set in your ways. And it reminds me of this allegory of the cave by Plato. <laughs> have I told it to you? Yes, but let's go into it. Okay. We probably might have talked about it on a different podcast, but it's forever applicable. Yes. Because there are these people living in a cave. They're chained to the wall. All they see are shadows on the wall. That's what they think life is. It's 2D. One day, one of these people happens to free himself from the chain. He goes up, imagining sunlight for the first time in your life, 3D flowers, like touching objects, feeling it's not just shadows. And he's like, wow, this is so amazing. I have to go back and tell the others. And then he goes back to the cave and he's like, you guys, I'm going to free you. You're not going to believe the world on this other side. And they shunned him. They called him a liar. They like told him to get out because it was so confronting for them. They would rather be cloaked in darkness than realize that the life that they thought they lived was a lie. Mm. And they would... And it's just such a metaphor for sometimes people are so afraid of confronting like a truth of how they might have lived or they have so much shame around how they showed up for their kids or in a certain way that they would rather just um, reinvest in that lie. And I forget, I was listening to a podcast, I forget which one, but they were saying that um, there was this study that people like... Basically, this woman was like a cult leader, and I might butcher this, so everyone should definitely fact check it on their own after. The premise will be right. Yeah, there was this woman who was a cult leader, and she had um, p- told people like that doomsday is coming, 
So they sold all their stuff. A, a lot of them did, um, and just prepared for the end of the world. Now, there were some people who believed her who were still part of the cult who didn't sell their stuff. So when it turned out that that day that she had predicted came and went and the world was still here, the people who didn't sell their stuff were more likely to be like, oh, okay, well, I guess she was wrong, so I'm not a part of this anymore. The people who had given everything to her doubled down on their belief of her because it was too painful to imagine that they had sold their houses, given away their life savings, and it was for nothing, Mm. if that makes sense. It does. It does. I feel like those attack it from both sides. I love the the cave analogy because um, it's so perfect in the sense of like we each have to decide actually the level of life that we want to live at. And I've been seeing emotions a lot more like a pool, like the shallow end and the deep end. Mm. And realizing that some people are living their whole life in the shallow end. And that's been my other realization too. Like we don't inevitably mature and we don't inevitably feel the full spectrum of human emotions in this life if we don't want to. And just this realization that I want a life that's deep and like experiences that full range. Right. And part of that is like we can't mute or everyone's probably heard this expression before, but if you mute one emotion, you mute all emotions mm. and you can only go as deep in one emotion as you've allowed yourself to go to another. Meaning, I don't think people talk about that at all, actually. Yeah. Well, meaning exactly like if you want to experience like the 90th level of joy, mm. guess what? You've also had to experience the 90th level of sorrow, of shame, of anger. Yes. And if we don't allow ourselves to feel those, we're never going to find the emotion that we're looking for. Yes. And of course, this brings us back to the Buddha. <laughs> right. But, <laughs> it always comes back always to the does. Buddha. But yeah, the reason people are so obsessed with suffering and like the, the essential nature of it is for that exact reason, like because the equal and opposite can then also exist. Right. And on, on that note, kind of in putting ourselves in that picture of like dynamics with other people. We can only love someone to the extent we've loved ourselves and we can only accept someone to the extent we've accepted ourselves. Wow. And we can only fully see someone to the extent we've fully seen ourselves. Yes. And when we are living intentionally in the shadow or would much rather continue to like add things to our to-do list, our tasks, so we don't have to be still and sit with like, I am enough just as I am. Um, we never get there and then we never fully see people and then we become reactive little children when someone triggers our wound. Yeah, and it's really like painful now to see that in people. I mean, of course, I still see it in myself. I'm not excluding myself from it, but to really... (laughs) Shut up, you're perfect. (laughs) (laughs) We are. (laughs) Constant growth. (laughs) We're never finished. Never finished. (laughs) But to really see that is like it it becomes really heartbreaking, especially when it's someone you love and you realize like, oh, wow, they really are basing their entire self-worth on productivity or how much they think they can get done. And, and they're really just like not feeling, they don't have any other metric. Yeah. And it's pretty crazy. <laughs> But it's so funny. It's like if the whole world individually knew that I am enough, yeah, we wouldn't have toxic masculinity or 
abuse, abuse, spiritual bypassing, because we wouldn't be trying to put our hurt or our shame on other people. Yeah, in in weird ways, and just to say, and like I know we've talked about kind of both of our situations where we've experienced people who weren't emotionally mature, just to give everyone a positive look on the other side of the looking glass. Both of us being people who have done work on ourselves. Um, and continue to do because the journey never ends. Um, you know, the best friendships that I have and have continued to invest in are friendships that we've had conversations of, hey, when you did this, I felt this way. Like what came up for you in conversations where you had, where I've had to be like, or friends had to be like, hey, I'm really sorry that I did that. I realized I did that because of X, Y, Z and moving forward like I'm committed to doing X. And so like, yes, those conversations with friends or a partner are so uncomfortable in the moment. Like I hate when I have to bring something up to a friend, but it's so relieving on the other side. And I always frame those conversations of like what I always started off. First off, I'm so grateful that we have the level of trust and respect for each other and that we both care about this friendship so much to be able to have this kind of conversation. Yes. And... It's um, and the, and when you know someone else can receive your truth and that they're also willing to look at their ownership in the situation, that's when you know someone worth investing in. Because being emotionally mature doesn't mean not making a mistake. It doesn't mean triggering someone or not triggering someone. Um, it means that we're all human. We're all going to continue to make mistakes. Mm-hmm. But it's how we communicate what we take ownership for. Yes. After. I love that you said that because yeah, we have to acknowledge like there, there, there is a lot of talk about like, just ditch the people that like trigger you or make, don't make you feel good. And that's not necessarily the answer. So I think what you said is so important. Like it's about the willingness to work through it, the commitment to the relationship, the commitment to both people deciding that they're willing to be a little bit uncomfortable for the greater good of what exists between them. Right. And it, and it truly does have to to come from both. and It does. And that's what I want to acknowledge too, not to be negative, but sometimes there are situations when it is one-sided and the other person just isn't there. And that's, that's the trap that we can get in. And I think in those situations, you still want to have the same exact approach that you would with someone who is receptive. Because you're still showing up as your highest self. Exactly. And your, your reaction doesn't change. You're loving. You know that you love them. You can feel that. You can own it. You can acknowledge it. And you can also give yourself permission to engage only in the way that makes sense for you until you have some signal that that maybe there's there's an awareness that things might Change. Might be open to change, yeah. And I think people are so, ooh, maybe this is the crux of it. Yes. And then we'll bring you all home. <laughs> <laughs> Thank goodness we got that in there. I know, we needed it. Ugh, breath of fresh air. Um, the crux of it is so many people, going back to the allegory of cave, are so terrified of having those conversations because they're afraid of the truth of what if we're not meant to be. Mm. Or what if you don't want to be my friend anymore? Yeah. And those are sometimes true. Sometimes yeah. both people can try and grow and it's yeah. just not the right fit. Yeah. And because people are so afraid of it, they'll keep holding on or doing things they know that will get reaction from the other person. So again, it comes back to checking in with your emotional self. 
Do am I do I like who I am when I'm hanging out with this person? Do I like how this person makes me feel? Yeah. Um, because it's it's first committing to having if it's right and that person's not you know toxic or harmful to having that conversation and then also having the allowance that it might be that we part ways after this conversation. Yeah. And sometimes people are so afraid of having those conversations that they're just kind of walking on eggshells, like, you know, relationships where it's like they don't want to bring up the uncomfortable truth. Yeah. That yeah. they might not be right for each other or or friendships where one they are growing in different directions, but neither wants to address it. Yeah. And it's important to acknowledge, like, sometimes you might feel like you're in that duo and you're like, this seems kind of crazy. Like, why isn't the other person like freaking out about this or weirded out or, you know, why don't they notice that something's off? And it's important to acknowledge that, you know, your intuition is for you and it's based on your life experiences and everything you've been through and witnessed, but theirs is, is according to their life. And they might just be, they might've only seen these kinds of dynamics and this might be, um, normal to them. And so it is okay to, to acknowledge that you might just have different, different standards at that point. Different standards or be growing at different paces and why they might be like, see, I'm trying. It just still might not be enough. It's like maybe you have like, I don't know how many gallons are in cars, but like you might need a 40 gallon tank of gas and they can only ever give you 20. Yeah. And that's how much they can give, even though they want to be able to fill your tank up. Yeah. And then (laughs) maybe this is our, but then... (laughs) Then you also get the choice of like, okay, I can take them at 20 gallons instead of 40, but I'm just going to treat it as such. As such. And it's all about then adjusting your expectations or deciding, yes. making a conscious choice. Does this work for me? Yeah. Is this something that I am willing to accept? Or I've definitely had moments like the 20, 40 gallon thing where I'm just like, okay, I love this friend. They don't need to be in every part of my life, but I'm happy to like see them at parties or invite them to group gatherings because I know that that's all they can give. So I don't want to feel resentful of continuing to go above and beyond for them when they're going to always flake in X, Y, Z ways. And then that's made me enjoy those friends even more because I'm not over giving or over expecting expecting them to fill my 40 gallon tank, et cetera. And I think with a parent it's a sign of emotional maturity actually to not be so black and white and to say like, I'm only, I only want this relationship at 40 or not at all. And the sign of emotional maturity is that saying like, I can accept this at 20 for both a parent and a friend, of course. But um, yeah, like that is the emotional maturity work of accepting the halfway and realizing it doesn't have to be black and white. Yeah, magic exists inside the gray, which we need to have a whole podcast episode on. Don't you guys worry. There's going to be a gray area podcast episode. I can't wait. (laughs) Okay, should we close this thing out? Let's do it. Should we bring this bad boy home? Let's do it. (laughs) Hey, so everyone, if you just want to close your eyes or just come into a soft, reflective state, taking a deep breath in and exhaling out. And as your gaze is inward or your mind is inward, calling forth your emotional self and just noticing how old they are today. Maybe they feel your age, maybe they're younger or older. And just asking your emotional self, 
Is there any part of you that I'm not expressing today? Is there any part that I need to express? Trusting whatever they say. And asking them what they need to feel safe to express this. Letting them know that you have given them your full permission to allow them to express this emotion, to be fully seen and expressing it either visualizing them expressing it now or carving out a sacred time alone for yourself to do it later. And then finally asking them, is there anyone that you need to communicate to or set a boundary with loving awareness with to continue to protect and evolve your emotional self, trusting whatever they say? And if there is a communication that needs to happen to yourself, to someone else, imagining your emotional self growing up to your age right now, turning into your spiritual highest self. From this place of all-knowing love and compassionate trust and playing out the scene in front of you, of you communicating from a place of loving compassion while also having nourishing boundaries. Seeing yourself in compassionate awareness to the other person's response without taking it personally. And just having compassion for them as you lovingly allow the scene to unfold. Seeing how this then ripples to affect other areas of your life in this self-trust, this boundary setting and how that allows you to strengthen your intuition, your highest self in all these areas. Sealing that in, taking a deep breath in. And then opening your eyes. <sighs> I love that. I want to ask myself my emotional age all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I know. What do you need today? And it's like, sometimes I tell my clients that and sometimes it's like, I'm six. I need to just scream. And I'm like, great, get a wiffle bat and like, or scream into your pillow or... yeah. Go for a car ride and listen to some 90s music and scream at the top of your lungs. But know you're six. But know you're six and allow that to be okay. And then after you've given yourself that permission to experience that emotion, checking back in, how do you feel now? I love that. So if you all want a journaling question or two to ponder, Mm. going back to kind of those questions from the meditation, what emotion... Do I need permission to give myself permission to express right now? What emotion do I need to give myself permission to express right now? And then, is there someone or some situation that I need to communicate something to now? I guess you can't communicate to a situation, so is there someone... I need to communicate something that I haven't been communicating to, that my emotional self is screaming about. Or maybe the communication to them is just to take a step back. It could also be 
It could also be silence and letting it sit. But what is that action? And the last question is, what would make me feel safe to express that? Mm. So basically, what is the fear around expressing it? What do I need to do? Because no one else can do this for us. What do I need to do to make myself feel safe to express that? And usually it's just as simple as reminding ourselves that we're safe, that we're enough, that we love ourselves no matter what. Yeah. Do you have anything you wanted to add to that? I think the question would just be like, if you're, if you're kind of in a, a lead up to this moment, maybe asking yourself, what, what would make you feel the most free version of yourself? Mm, and yes. that can be like, just, it can trigger a lot of things. It can, it can feel very extreme to answer that question because we can feel like we need to go somewhere else or get rid of certain factors in our life. But just, I would just say like, let, let those answers come, even if they're super scary and seem extreme and seem crazy. Yes. I love that actually, like asking that first, what does that most free version of myself look like? And then reverse engineering with the questions that I asked of like, where do I need to express my emotion to yeah. myself? And what do I need to communicate or what boundaries do I need to put into place with others yeah. to allow this free yeah. expressed version of myself to exist? Yeah. How can I start like closing the gap between now and that? I love that. And I know some of you might be wondering about the funny story that I mentioned. Oh, yes. Um, <laughs> in case you guys have forgotten. Uh, so we'll just end with that and then powerful stuff it out. But yeah, in regards to Tim Ferriss, a friend and I once joked that wouldn't it be powerful if we had a retreat for men who thought they were doing the work, <laughs> but were maybe just kind of biohacking around mm. it. Um, we might still need that. We might still need it. Maybe, yeah, Tim, contact us for a discount code. No, I'm joking. If you need some feminine energy in there. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And then I guess to tie this back, the last thing I'll say truly, to tie this back to masculine and feminine energy, which was a podcast episode a, few, a while ago, having some structure isn't bad, um, like some masculinity. Um, but when we're constantly yes. rushing through things, we're denying the femininity, which is our emotional self, and even just allowing more space, creating more space in the structure for the emotional self to speak is where feminine energy comes from. And it's not that we're saying get rid of all the doing of course, and go into the emotion. We're just saying we need both. We need both. And we need sometimes to clear out all the doing and to sit in stillness and allow that emotion, that superpower, that compass to come up and guide us to take the next step. Yes, the true version of self. Well, thank you all for listening to Powerful Stuff. If you, you like what you heard, be sure to comment, subscribe, share, send us your deepest thoughts and questions. Oh my God, we can't wait to hear them. We can't wait. Until then, have a powerful week. Until next week when we bring you more Powerful, powerful Stuff. stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Thank you for listening to the Powerful Stuff Podcasts. We're your hosts, Meredith Baker and Eileen Legiu.
We hope that you learned some powerful stuff that you can take away and implement into your own life. And if you do, we would love it if you rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast, Powerful Stuff. And if something deeply resonates with you and you share it on social media, tag us. We would love to hear from you. And we will also see you next week for some more Powerful Stuff. stuff. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha.